uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there in cyberspace. The cops, they love technology. From robot dogs to drones to ring cameras to tasers to facial recognition software, the police are often early adopters of the world's newest dystopian tech. How does it happen? Well, quite often the tech companies are actively pitching police departments on the stuff they say will make the cops' lives easier. Every month, at conferences across the country, cops... And tech companies are breaking bread and cutting deals. But what goes on at these conferences exactly? Well, someone attended one recently, and they took a camera. It's the subject of a new story on the site. Please delete your recordings inside a police conference. I'm Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. And right here up at the top, I do want to address one thing that happened in the last episode. Um, I left my Slack open, and some of you who are listening at home got minor heart attacks when you heard notifications go off. So it is my promise, Slack is muted, no one, no, don't panic, the boss isn't coming for you, it's not going to happen. But I do have a special guest with me today to help me untangle the mystery of what goes on at these tech conferences. Uh, he is Jack Paulson. He's the one that captured much of the audio you're going to be hearing today on the show. He's a researcher at the transparency organization Tech Inquiry. Thank you so much for coming onto the show, Jack. How are you doing? Uh, wonderful. Thank you for having me. All right. So first off, we like to get some basics out of the way right at the top of the show. Can you tell me a little bit about Tech Inquiry? What is it that what is it and what do you do there? Yeah, we're a scrappy nonprofit that started in early 2019. Uh, I had been one of a, a small group of, of tech workers at, for example, Google and a company called Clarify who had uh, actually resigned in protest over their company getting increasingly involved in, for example, drone surveillance uh, via Project Maven at Google and Clarify. And in my case, for Google rolling back its decade-long position on protecting human rights internationally as it came to, for example, not censoring or surveilling its uh, search engine when it's deployed in other countries. And over time, we kind of evolved into one of the the best forms of seeking accountability is really tracking what uh, surveillance companies are, are doing as it relates to the uh, governments, uh, etc. All right, Jack, I, I hate to do this and break the flow of the show at the very beginning of it, but you have a cat in your lap and the audience, <laughs> the audience is demanding to know the cat's name. It's uh, Vincent. He's uh, going to be 18 years old pretty soon. And uh, he pretty much demanded that he get in my lap right before this started, of course. So. What a sweet, sweet kitten. Thank you, Vincent. Thank you for coming on to Cyber along with Jack. All right. So back to these, these conferences. Um, so when did you kind of first learn about them and why did you decide to attend one? Yeah, the, the honest answer is I haven't tracked them for very long. I, I mostly track uh, surveillance companies, like for example, Data Miner was one of the attendees. I've watched them for a long time. Uh, Flock Safety, which works for the police, on in a, a manner similar to the way you might think of Shot Spotter with detecting gunshots and working with license plate readers. And so, uh, you know, beyond that, Axon obviously is is famous for uh, building the Taser. And so when I, I saw that they were all right next to each other as well as Clearview AI, which is a pretty infamous facial recognition company, I decided that I needed to go. Now, I 
I've looked into other similar organizations in the past, for example, the National Fusion Center Association, which is quite interesting because you can just look at who sponsors them to get a sense of which companies are supporting uh, fusion centers and a very similar list of companies. And so, um, yeah, it seemed like a pretty good opportunity to go listen to some interesting talks. How hard was it to get in? Surprisingly, it was uh, the only challenge was that the ticket wasn't free. Um, so I I happened to have uh, consulted in the um, kind of humanitarian slash emergency response space for about a year after I left Google. And so I I didn't have to lie, to put it that way. I just had to not talk about certain, you know, what it is I do now. I just talked about what I used to do. Um, and so it was kind of amazing to me how easy it was to attend and, until, you know, I started to get a little bit more uh, overt that I was trying that I was filming things. Um, apparently, the sheriffs just started complaining and that, you know, is it it's laid out in the story. Eventually, they started confronting me about it. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to that. I want to get some more details about the players here a little bit first. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me? So there's there's a ton of these conferences all over the place. Right. Right. Um, this was just one. Uh, and you'd give me kind of the background of it. Where was it? Uh, who was involved? That's not on the tech side. Yeah, so it's based in Washington, D.C. There's a, a summer conference and a, a winter conference. If I'm not mistaken, and I'd have to double check the summer conferences in Vegas, but the winter conferences in D.C. And the there's actually a, what they called a hill day that was the day after I left, which is on Tuesday, where the sheriffs go and actually meet directly with members of Congress. And so a a significant component of the National Sheriffs Association is to help sheriffs lobby. Um, And so you can, you know, think of it as fitting into the usual D.C. kind of milieu, albeit with the, the clients being sheriffs and the companies that work with them. Now, what exactly is the National Sheriffs Association? Yeah, so it's uh, an advocacy organization for sheriffs that uh, started, I guess, in in 1940. To be honest, I hadn't tracked them particularly closely before this. There there are experts who have dug it very deeply, not only into this organization, but also particular sheriffs. Uh, For example, Jessica Pishko. Um, who, who writes for several publications, you know, New Republic, Slate, et cetera, on sheriffs and, and runs uh, a substack entirely on this subject. I would say such a person uh, is much more expert, and I'd recommend them if you want a deep dive. But to me, as, as someone who monitors the way surveillance companies engage with governments and the public sector writ large, this was one of the important uh, places to see how that that interface functions. And I, I want to stress this for the audience uh, who may not know, depending on where they live in the country. So mm-hmm. sheriffs occupy a really interesting place in American law enforcement. And again, it's very, it's highly dependent on like where you live. Um, but some places they are elected. They don't always have law enforcement experience, um, especially in the South and the West parts of the country. And they can be a little... Um, uh, how shall I put this eccentric um, in ways that you perhaps don't want from your law enforcement. Um, okay. So that's kind of the, the law enforcement side of this conference. And so there was Axon, 
Um, who well, else did you say was, sorry, go ahead. Well, I'd say on that point, definitely one of the things that shocked me, but I, I understand does not shock people who closely follow these associations, is that the sheriffs are so far to the right of even the FBI that it was a nonstop theme of the conference of them really just dunking on the FBI as being, you know, soft on Antifa, which just happened over and over again. And, and so I, you know, um, I, I, that, that side of the, <laughs> uh, the, the culture was admittedly new to me. And I, I think for people who follow sheriffs much more closely, that's not a surprise at all. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the, the kind of people that are going to be part of a sheriff's association and going to this kind of conference that doesn't really shock me. Um, oh, so, okay, so we said Axon, Clearview AI. Who else was there? Data Miner, I believe. Yeah, so actually, even in right in one small corner of the exhibit hall, which was about, you know, at least 10 different rows, and in fact, the floor plan's public if anyone wants to look it up, there was an anti immigration hate group called the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Um, right across was Axon, which makes Taser. Next to them was Clearview AI. Across from Clearview AI was Data Miner, which is unique in having Firehose access to all of the, the tweets and then having the right to then sell that to the police, which is something I discussed with them. Uh, beyond those companies, there was Leo Technologies, for example, which has been in a bit of hot water recently because it partners with Amazon Web Services and helps police surveil the contents of communications between prisoners and, for example, their family members outside the prison. There was a company called Mark 43, which was there that, that helps with com so-called computer-aided dispatch, which has been invested in by numerous uh, tech billionaires, for example, Jeff Bezos. And in fact, one of the employees at Mark 43 was even telling me about how when he'd been a cop before joining the company, how he had been a happy user of Leo Technologies. And it was great because people just admitted to crime so frequently when they were on the phone. That's, uh, so that, yeah, That's wild. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so that, that should give you a sense. I mean, it was about 100 vendors and then sheriffs and chiefs of police from all over. Uh, you know, retired NYPD, for example, that were openly, you know, very casually describing how they would infiltrate protest groups, including in some cases, nonviolent groups, if they were interested in things such as uh, impeding traffic. Um, so, it, you know, essentially surveillance companies, sheriffs, and then companies doing more uh, service, like, for example, healthcare providers for prisons. There were vendors gotcha. for that, like Wexford. All right. So did you, can you describe, did you bring a camera? Uh, did you have just an audio recorder? Like what kind of equipment did you walk in with? It was honestly just two cell phones. And okay. the, so, you know, we're a small nonprofit and frankly, we hadn't done anything like this before, but for the overt recording, I was just using an iPhone that I just very clearly pointed sideways at the the speaker at the conference. And I could also just run a mic in my pocket from one of the other cell phones with a voice recorder when I was in the exhibit hall. And so that, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Sorry. So that the idea was to have the audio as a backup. And if I could manage to get the video, then I would do that on top. 
Yeah, I've got a piece of audio and a piece of video I want to play here that I think will give people an idea. Um, this first one uh, I'm going to queue up. I want to want you to set it up a little bit for us. It's um, somebody. Try, it's it's Axon, I believe, trying to sell someone on um, like a retreat. What exactly is going on here? Yeah, so I was standing right in front of Axon, which makes tasers. And a few moments before I had been talking to them about hearing the tasers going off, you know, they, they joked with me about whether they wanted me to, if I wanted to get tased, and I said no. And so I was about to go across to another booth. I forget if it was going to be data miner or not. And then a, a cop walked up and started pitching how it was that if he was Axon, he would essentially buy off the head of the police in Rhode Island. And so I, I was standing there with my mic hot in my pocket, and then it becomes very clear that this is something that he does not want recorded. And in fact, at some point in the conversation, he explicitly tells me, don't listen. And then he ends the conversation with, don't get me in trouble for what I just said. All right, so we're going to go ahead and play that now. It's a little under two minutes. I'm going to bring the audio up. It's a little distorted, but I think you guys will get the picture. Somebody in the audience said we probably have to transcribe that for you. Um, so it is in the story, uh, so you can pull it up, which we've linked up. At the I top. have a transcript I can link as well. Beautiful. Uh, I don't know if there's a yeah yeah. A I chat. can drop the I can drop the transcript into the chat. But the basic gist is that um, it's some guy. It's another police chief talking to Axon. He's like, "Hey, if you want this contract, the the other guy he likes." You know, he likes this particular hunting lodge. If you go up there, you show him a good time. You grease the wheels a little bit. Um, it's a done deal. You know, I would bring the contract with you. He'll probably sign it while you're there. Right. 
Yeah, he even it was actually very easy for me to find the exact hunting farm that that was referring to, given that he named this very small town, North Smithfield, Rhode Island. And then he named a particular famous former player on the Patriots, Matt White. And in fact, you can easily find the URL for this farm where Matt White is explicitly endorsing the farm. Um, so, uh, and also it's quite easy to to find that if you look up the head of Rhode Island State Police, it's in fact the same name as the person that was mentioned in this conversation, which is Jimmy Manny. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Can we do a little bit big picture talk here for just a second in case mm-hmm. some people are... Because I think there's some people that are going to look at this and say, like, well, this is just how business is done in this country, mm-hmm. right? Like tech companies, they have a product to sell. They're going to go to the people that are going to buy the product. What do you make of that argument? And why do you think this story is important and, and dangerous? Well, of course, there are always sales people who are seeking to use some form of influence that is not crossing an ethical boundary whether that's taking someone out to dinner, et cetera. But to me, the, the the sort of combination of statements that turned this into a smoking gun is, one, the explicit statement that if you do this, they will sign whatever contract you have. And then the fact that the conversation was bookended on both sides with, don't listen to this and don't get me in trouble for saying this. So clearly the the cop knew that what he was saying was something that was problematic by his own admission. And then afterwards, without really even blinking, Axon said, yeah, well, thank you for the intel. And in fact, later on, they said, if we do that, we'll call you up and maybe you can join us. And so it's difficult for me to think, well, what is a further red line to be crossed for essentially a bribery proposal for how it is that you can get police to sign off on a very expensive contract because an an important part of the conversation was axon's rep saying look like our problem is we're so expensive and then this cop's like oh you know that's no big deal you can just make the argument that you know do you want good or do you want cheap and so there was this clear disregard for taxpayer money that i think was taking place there and it was understood that if you show the the police a good time, they'll sign your, your expensive contract. And the other thing is like, this is happening in public on the sales conference floor, right? So right. what are the conversations like during those dinners or behind closed doors? You know, exactly. Yeah. Um, Futterman's rule in the chat brings up a good point. Uh, the Atlas of Surveillance website run by Electronic Fun- Frontier Foundation is an open source research documenting police tech in specific communities. Would any of these financial relationships be discovered with that type of search? Yes, possibly. It's a pretty good website that does a good job of kind of calling open source information about which police departments have purchased what stuff. The problem is that 
the, because police departments are so localized and tend to um, do their own reporting and keep tracking of their own data, the atlas of surveillance is only as good as the information that's fed into it. Um, and right. sometimes you have to push a little bit either with open source or with uh, freedom of information style requests or, you know, you know, lawsuits sometimes to get the information out. But that is a good place to start. Yes. Yeah. So actually one of the main, in fact, I would say 95 plus percent of the time of tech inquiry is actually a, a similar system that we've built that sits on top of procurement and lobbying records. In, in fact, over about 87 countries at this point, a, a few U.S. states. Um, so we really started with a deep dive into U.S. federal contracting and mapping out different surveillance companies, what are their subsidiaries, parent companies, who do they partner with, et cetera. And so we track about 10,000 or so different companies across, you know, I, I think at this point, 87 different countries and 16 languages now. We try to translate the procurement contracts into English. And so that's a huge portion of our time. I think the more organizations working on these sorts of things, the better, because it's really an art form. As was just mentioned, uh, a lot of these relationships between organizations aren't going to be an official government record. And so you have to, say, pull them from investigative journalism, from the websites of the companies uh, who sponsored these police associations or fusion centers, etc. And so combining all of that together into a system that then turns into actually a recommendation system that we built to tell you who's like Palantir, who's like Flock, who's like ShotSpotter, etc., has become a core part of how we kind of tame the zoo of, of companies, if you will. Yeah, it's wild because uh, we live in this this era of big data, right? There's so much information about everyone and everything and every corporation out there. Um, so increasingly in my work, I find that the problem is not necessarily getting the information. It's sorting through it once I have it or once I have access to it. There's so much. It's uh, a fire hose, as you said earlier. And it really, like, the more tools you have to kind of just organize things, the better off you are. Um, I want to play another bit of information, another bit of audio here. I think it's got video, too, and it's a little more clear than the last one. Um, and I'll set up some of this by because a motherboard story is slightly involved. Um, he's going to be referencing, the, the gentleman talking is going to be referencing a robot dog, one of the Boston Dynamic robot dogs up at the top uh, that was purchased by police in Hawaii using funds set aside for COVID relief. Um, when asked what they were going to do with the robot dog, uh, Hawaii said we're going to use it to take the temperatures of people as, of, uh, of unhoused people we have in camps around the islands. Um, so that's kind of a little background for the clip we're going to see uh what else can you tell us about this? Yeah, the explicit setup was that this former chief of police who'd been hired to essentially lobby for Company 6 and the first was setting up how they were going to not fall into the same trap that Boston Dynamics fell into with their negative press, which made the whole recording that much more ironic that yeah, given through what this explanation. Given what he's about it, to say, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and so the, the other important background is that the company he's repping, Company 6, is a spinoff of Sphero, 
which made all of the little BB-8 robots that folks might remember from Christmas a few years ago. And so he's got up the Disney Star Wars logo for at least, you know, 10 minutes during the conversation while he starts telling some of these jokes. And so it's just kind of surreal. All right. So this is about a 90 second clip. I'm going to go ahead and start it. And the first question from the reporters in both places, you know, uh, sequentially was, what do you intend to do with it? And they said, well, uh, and the guys in Honolulu, they've gotten their money from COVID money. So they said, well, we're going to send them into the homeless camps and they're going to take everybody's temperature. I mean, and the, it just went wild. I mean, the press started equating it with the, the Pettus Bridge and, in, in, uh, um, you know, during the civil rights time, the dogs, uh, all of this stuff, both contracts were canceled. So uh, that brings me to, that, that brings me to the to the project that, that I'm currently involved in, and and part of the reason for it is I have seen so many times, even the technology that I've been involved in introducing, we don't introduce it with people understanding how they're going to use it. Now I know I know that we can trust law enforcement officers to always do the right thing. There's no chance that that robot is going to be run into the women's locker room or in some places the man's locker room or the other locker room. um, that the the part of that clip that really messes me up is when uh, he says, you know, we know that law enforcement is always going to do the right thing. And the guy in the front row starts giggling. That is right. that's dark. That's some dark stuff. Yeah, and it's much darker because that joke gets repeated at least twice again throughout the rest of the talk. And then there's a segment where John Abbey, who's the, the speaker that is lobbying for Company 6, explains that what he was surprised to learn is that women's bikinis are one of the worst obstacles to these robots when they roll through someone's house. And that the reason is they get they clog up the treads on the uh, on the robot. And he's laughing about this and saying, oh, well, we'll have to find some way to test it. And there's callbacks. So, you know, if you, you add it all up, there's just constant jokes throughout the entire pitch about either surveilling women in the locker room or how, you know, their undergarments are going to clog up the robots. Did anyone at any point ever realize that like, Hey, you're recording. Who is this person? Why are you, why are you here? By the end. But what's so strange is that he didn't seem to care by the end. I I don't think he understood that I wasn't a sheriff, to be honest. I, I don't think anyone else in any of these sessions wasn't a sheriff or a chief of police or retired chief of police. And so he starts to talk about how crime is on the rise and that for the 2022 election, the politicians are going to have no choice but to flood police with money to fix it. And as he starts to say this, he stares at me. And in fact, another cop gets up and stares at me as well and says, I notice I'm being recorded, so don't quote me. And he says, actually, you know what, go ahead and quote me. And he says he looks forward to the flood of money and that the politicians have no other choice. So, you know, again, it's 
hard to believe that some of the, how aggressive some of these statements were. Can you talk about this other confrontation you had with a uh, confrontation is a strong word. Um, yeah. a woman kind of approached you at the end, right? Were you ever asked to delete any of your recordings or anything like that? Yeah. So on, this was a three day conference and on the second day, it's fair to say that I started filming overtly in the exhibit hall and that led to several of the exhibitors telling me that they were, you know, they demanded that I not record them, which is funny because they were surveillance contractors. Uh, so on the third day, which was when I got approached by the the head of national or one of the representatives of the National Sheriff's Association, they they made clear that the sheriffs had been complaining about me. They told me to delete the recordings and uh, essentially said, you know, I hear you. I think I might have said okay at the time. And then I had a few others approach me. And it, none of them were particularly aggressive, but it was clear that they were probing. And what they wanted to know was which further talk I was going to potentially attend, because I was sitting right outside the conference rooms. And so, of course, I could just not answer that question. And then right as, well, in, in fact, this story still hasn't come out yet, so I'm not going to get into it. But there was a, a very interesting surveillance talk on the last day that I went back for, even though my cover was completely blown. And so I ran in right as it started and just uh, mic'd it in my pocket. That's right. So we, we've got one story out on the site right now about this. Um, you recorded more audio that is not here uh, because when we do a story like this, like the, the clips that you just heard, um, we gave the people in the clips a chance to respond, to talk, to say, to make some sort of statement. Um, mm -hmm. Most of them did not. Um, so, uh, the, you know, the Rhode Island State Police did not request the, did not respond to our Christopher comment who was involved in the hunting lodge thing. And then from Axon, we got Axon has a longstanding commitment to organizational ethics. And as such, we have certain guidelines and restrictions in place to ensure that all business dealings are conducted ethically and above reproach. We take these matters seriously and are committed to doing business transparently and in compliance with federal, state, and municipal laws, uh, they told us. But there's more. Can you... Can you give us a tease about what else is coming? Well, I would start by saying uh, an important component we haven't talked about was the response by data miner and, and flock That's a really good and, point. and axon. So for example, uh, data miner has been controversial for years. And the reason they've been controversial is that they've allegedly been used to aid surveillance of Black Lives Matter protesters by police. They, they kind of follow in the footsteps of a company called Geophedia, which was referenced numerous times during the conference as an example of when things went off the rails, where police could set up just a geographical region and they could get all of the social media that went out within that geographic location. And so there's been enormous sensitivity because police really, really, really want access to social media. And that's about as much as I'm going to say about what the other recording is. Um, and as a result, data miner has gotten very good at its public marketing. And that has to do with claiming that they support first responders through a product called First Alert. And so even when I started speaking to them, they got very touchy 
and acknowledged that this was a very sensitive conversation because they were the middlemen. In fact, they're the only middleman that's officially allowed to resell Twitter's firehose to the police. And so nevertheless, you know, I said, well, this, that isn't controversial here. I'm at a police conference, so you can just talk to me. And so they talked a little bit and explained how, yes, in fact, they, like Axon, wanted to start fusing drone data into their platform. And that was actually denied by the representative of Axon that that Joseph reached out to. I think data miner. I don't think Axon denied it. Data no, miner no, denied I, it, right? No, Axon didn't deny it as far as I'm aware. I think they were overwhelmingly clear. Yeah. But the but the data miner rep had also gone into detail of using, you know, street surveillance cameras, for example, to detect uh, emergency vehicles going down the street. And they they used this phrase that they wanted the company to become a lawn chair that you could stick anywhere in the world and watch. And I, I think it becomes clear once you start accessing those kinds of feeds that you're no longer restricting yourself to so-called publicly available information, which... You know, also, I think is a, a super important point. Clearview AI also claims it's just publicly available information. And Clearview AI is doing a lot of mass surveillance, which has been deemed illegal in, you know, numerous jurisdictions. It's been banned in Australia. It's been banned in at least parts of Canada. And so I think there's this, uh, a, you know, marketing campaign that's been waged to suggest that if it's off the internet, it should be allowed. And that publicly available information framing is the preferred terminology. And and in fact, uh, my organization has written an entire report on how so-called PAI, which in some cases includes cell phone location tracking data, works its way up uh, into the U.S. government from, you know, different uh, nonprofits in some cases. We've really got to rethink the public sphere, I think, and really understand what these companies are talking about doing. Because um, I've I've researched quite a bit and for some other stories into what Axon is proposing, what Axon and its partners are proposing. Um, and they're, what they're claiming to want to do is like send a drone up in the sky and basically map everything in every possible way and kind of have that data fed back into poli- police computers um, including like hook being hooked up to ra- facial recognition software and other things um, in real time, kind of it, it, it's, it's a massive amount of data. Um, you know, do you want a camera above your backyard? It, it's just, you know, like it just doesn't, it doesn't sit right with me. Uh, yes. So even the speaker who was making all of the, the women's locker room jokes ended his talk with a pitch on a so-called real-time crime center is where he was spending most of his time thinking. So a large percentage of the questions that I asked the different surveillance vendors were, can you explain to me the difference between a common operating picture and a real-time crime center? Now, a common operating picture, roughly speaking, is a map of you know some portion of the earth that you've put up where you have data feeds that show up on that map. And maybe you can click through like, you know, maybe it was a tweet that was geolocated somewhere in Saudi Arabia, and you want to look at what it said, you know, at, at a certain time span. Or, uh, you know, in the case of the U.S., obviously that might be 
a Black Lives Matter protester who tweeted in L.A., let's say. Um, so you could filter for certain keywords in certain geographic regions and kind of use a map as your way to drill down, ideally in something close to real time. And so that's actually used both by police, uh, by the Department of Defense. I've had freedom of information request responses on how Palantir competed with a company called Transvoyant to set up a so-called logistics common operating picture for the Air Force. This was in 2017. Anyway, so the the thing that was curious to me is what was this, how was a real-time crime center different? And the explanation I got from Dataminer anyway was that essentially it's the common operating picture plus the room full of people who are monitoring it. So it's more of the socio-technical system, even though they didn't use that terminology on top of the, the COP, if you're going to use that acronym for it. People and machines working together to watch everybody all the time forever. Uh, that is the future that some people want. Uh, and, may, and being able to make money, monetizing all of our actions. But I mean, we could, that's a whole other, uh, whole other episode. Um, Jack Paulson, do you think we hit it? I think so. Jack Paulson of Tech Inquiry. Where can people find more of your work? So our nonprofit has an explorer that is a huge fraction of our work. It's at techinquiry.org slash explorer. If you go to that, start typing in a company name. Maybe it's Flock. Maybe it's Axon. You'll see what sorts of government contracts they have, what sorts of partnerships. And yeah, uh, happy digging. All right. Thank you so much again, Jack, for coming on and doing that. And I look forward to reading the next piece, uh, uh, you know, as, as, as more of this comes out. I am Matthew Galt. This has been Cyber. If you like the show and you missed the beginning of it, uh, very, very quickly, it's going to be up as a podcast wherever fine pods are casted. Um, and we are mostly broadcasting on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern. This week was a little weird, so we did a, a Tuesday, Thursday thing. But we will be back next week with two more stories uh, about our uh, nightmare dystopian future that we're building. Um, everybody stay safe out there until then. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.